All right, what's up, everybody? Just want to say hey to everyone that's watching online uh, with us tonight, guys. We're starting a brand new series uh, called Love Stories, uh, and it's something um, that all of us in here are searching for in one way or another. We're all searching for love. We're searching for companionship. Uh, we seek out romance, but for some reason, we are all so bad at it in our own respects and in our own ways. Um, just as a society, like we're pretty bad at trying to write our own love story. So it doesn't really matter if you are a believer or you're not a believer. Um, 40 to 60 percent of the people in our country get divorced. And that doesn't even count people um, who are married, but their marriages become miserable and loveless and they're more like roommates. For all of our dating apps, our personality profiles, our Enneagram uh, knowledge, we're not getting any better at this. Um, the average marriage has a seven-year expiration date, and that number has not moved um, for almost 20 years. And the question really just becomes, like, who would want to sign up for that? Like, betting half your stuff that you can make it seven years, and half of those end really miserably, like, you have a coin flip chance of making it. If you pull a quarter out of your pocket, flip it, heads or tails, that's your odds of being able to make it. It's ironic to me that one of the most iconic songs um, about love is a song called What is Love uh, by Hathaway. You guys know the song, What is Love, uh, uh, Don't Hurt Me. Isn't it ironic that the, very, the lyrics of that song are, What is Love, followed immediately by, Baby, Don't Hurt Me. Like, that's the way that we think about love. It's like, man, I want to find it. I want to know what love is. But also, like, I just know that it's going to hurt. It feels like it's inevitable that just pain and suffering are going to be a result. And for some of us in here, maybe you, your story is a little bit uh, like mine. And you went through so many bad relationships and toxic dates that you kind of picked up some baggage uh, along the way in life. Like, you look in the rearview mirror of your life, and there's some wreckage um, back there. Like, you have some pain uh, that really hurts, and you don't know what to do of it, with it. So the question is, like, why is it like this? Why is it so hard to pursue love? Why is it so hard to give love? Why is it so hard to receive love? Why is it so hard to participate in romantic love? Why is there so much dysfunction if it's something that so many people want? And I think it comes from a profound misunderstanding about how we love others and how we're supposed to show that to others. Most of us in here, we are searching for someone to spend life with, but we don't even really know what we're looking for. In fact, we're just hoping that we're just going to kind of wander into it, and one day, like, we'll just, we'll just find it. Like, we'll just trip our way forward into this. Even uh, our phrasing, the way we talk about love, is we say things like, man, I'm going to fall in love. I want to fall in love with someone. That implies that you just kind of trip and fall your way into a thriving romantic relationship. And the thing is, is to know what something is for, to know what something truly is, you need to know what it was designed for. You need to know what it was created for, and you need to be able to know from its creator. Thank you, Siri. Um, just imagine with me for a second, if you could talk to Steve Jobs about the creation of the iPhone. Uh, you were able to, to, to sit down with him and just discuss, I mean, he's dead now, you can't do this, but like, just imagine with me, like, that you could discuss with Steve Jobs the creation of the iPhone, and he told you all about, man, this is how we started, this is how we worked through research and development, this is when we put together the plan to create 
the iPhone, and this is all the things that I dreamed uh, that it could do. This is the way that I saw this device changing history. And then you took your iPhone and you just used it as a hammer. Like you're like, man, I need to hang like some pictures up in my, my house, so I'm just going to just bang, 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 bang this nail in uh, with it. Like that is abusing the purpose of that creation. Or maybe uh, you just used your iPhone just to make calls, even though it's capable of so much more. I don't think that we can understand the creation until we talk to the Creator. We can take God's gift of love, His institution of marriage that He created, and we can turn it into an iPhone hammer just driving nails with a $1,200 supercomputer. So over the next four weeks, what I want is for us to discover together not only God's love story for humanity first and foremost, only when we grasp that love story can we hope that our own story can intertwine with his and eventually out to others because I think that it is God's desire for you to get this right. I think it is God's desire for you not only to get it right, but to thrive in it, to have the best marriage possible, but the best marriage possible starts way, way, way before you ever walk down the aisle. It starts way, way, way before you ever get down on one knee. It starts right now. It starts tonight. It started yesterday. It is the ever-growing and shaping of yourself that prepares you for this. So over the next four weeks, as we learn how deeply God loves us and how we in turn love others well as a result of that. You're going to notice some areas in your life. You're going to notice some practices that you keep, some habits that you can't kick that are shaping you in a negative way. And that's really good. That's good because the Holy Spirit shows you this, but it's even better when you notice those things and you do something about it. So my pastoral word of warning for all of you guys and for everyone that's going to be watching online with us over the next few weeks is this is you are going to be tempted to try to microwave your maturity over the next four weeks. And I'm telling you, that's impossible. The first step is acceptance. It's just accepting where you're at and then begin to move forward into the Holy Spirit forming you into a, a, a person that God desires you to be. Yes, I believe that God can heal you instantaneously of anything, but often more than not, he wants to form you in the process to prepare you for what is next. So don't be tempted to be like, man, I, I just, I really want to get this right so that I can meet someone. I really want to get this right so I can start dating. Like, there are things that you're going to recognize in your life that you're just not going to be able to microwave. You're not going to be able to quickly get up and get out of it. That you're going to have to wait and do the hard work of allowing the Holy Spirit to move you through that, through different lanes. So, uh, to start, guys, tonight, we have got to discover what love is. And to do that, we're going to be opening God's Word. Before we do that, I want you guys to pray with me really fast. God, we love you so much. Lord, we're here for you. Lord, we know that you are the originator and that you are the creator of love. Lord, we know that love is the very essence of your being, God. It is the baseline emotion that you feel towards us, God, that love is the motivator for your actions. It was the motivator um, for you to create humanity. It was the motivator for you to redeem humanity. And Lord, we know that you deeply love each one of us in here. Lord, that you loved us to the point that you died in our place so that we might be reconciled to you. 
Lord, we don't want to take that lightly, Lord, but we want to honor and glorify you in every area of our life, Lord, including romance. And that is what we want to discover tonight, Lord. And I pray that tonight and over the next few weeks, Lord, that I would step out of the way, God, that you would step in for me, Lord, that you would speak through me, God, that we don't need to hear from me tonight, God, that we need to hear from you. We need to hear from your word. So, God, we love you. We praise you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I want you guys to flip or tap your way over to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We were just in 1 John uh, recently. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. Not to be confused with the gospel of John, um, but 1 John. So this is the first of John's letters uh, that he wrote. It's going to be uh, near the back of your Bible. If you've got a paper Bible, if you don't have your copy of God's Word, you can follow along screen with me. But just a little prelude before we get into uh, the passage um, for tonight. I think as we begin to think about love and the originator of love, and then showing and receiving love, I think we need to stop and just take a mental account right now that when we even say the word love, like what does our brain subconsciously jump to or consciously jump to just to define the word love? Like think about this, like we love tacos, we love our grandma. We say I love you whenever we feel really strong fuzzy emotions about another person, and those three things are obviously three very different things. Like I hope that the way that you uh, tell your grandma you love her is not the same way that you love tacos. I hope that you love grandma in a different way than the way that you love tacos. Uh, Sometimes when we talk about love, like it refers to our passion um, for a thing. You know, we say things like we love sports or we love reading uh, or we love watching uh, TV or whatever it is. Sometimes people say, um, you know, like we should love a group of people despite their differences, despite our differences, which is just a really politically correct way of saying, like, we should just tolerate them. And I don't know about you guys, but, like, when someone is just tolerating me, like, does that make me feel loved? If you knew someone was just tolerating you, would that make you feel loved? And then sometimes we say things like, man, when we are, like, looking for love, uh, or, man, I'm looking to fall in love, or we even drop the L-bomb to someone and we say, like, hey, I love you. What exactly are we referring to? Because we use love all the time. It kind of turns into this junk drawer word. Most of us in here, when we tell another person that we love them, what we're saying is that I love the way that you make me feel. I feel better about myself when I'm around you. I feel warm, bubbly feelings when I'm around you. Most of us, we connect the word love with a feeling. And not just a feeling, but a passive feeling. Well, the problem with that lies in what happens when you don't feel that way around that person anymore? What happens when you meet someone that makes you feel uh, even more of those feelings than the previous person did? Does that mean that you stop loving that person and you love a new person now? Does that mean that you never actually loved them to start with and you were always just kind of waiting to meet this person? What does that mean? And I'm just telling you, if you define love that way, if that's what your mental registrar tells you is the way to define love, then you, whether you believe, realize it or not, you believe that love is passive. Love is something passive. It's just something that happens to you. And I believe that that definition is the primary definition that our society and culture works off of. And that's why I believe we have all that dysfunction that we mentioned earlier, why divorce rates are what they are, why unhappiness is what it is. But when we open the Bible, we're going to see that to know Jesus, to see who Jesus was, and to see what he said and what he did, that that is the definition of love. And that is the thesis that John is building on 
all throughout 1 John, that to know what love is, if you want to know love, you have to know Jesus. And to extend true love, to extend real, authentic love, you have to have fully received it from Jesus. So uh, read with me right here. This is from 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 9. 1 John 4 verse 9 says this. John says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also might to love, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives within us and his love is made complete in us. Man, some of your translations might say that his love is made visible in us instead of complete. And I love that so much that no one has ever seen God, but his love is made visible. It's brought into public view through his very own people. All right, so what do we see right here? Jesus's definition of love is him fully and freely giving himself over to us through losing his own life that we might live and live in the sense that we could reach our full potential of what he created us to do in his kingdom, that his sacrifice, we read, atoned for our sins. Now, the word atoning, that means like to make amends, where we had like past trouble. So if you ever had a disagreement with a friend or a family member and you go back and you're like, hey, let's bury the hatchet, you're making amends so that we're out of that past trouble. So what does John say that now that Jesus has made amends with us, that we've gotten out of our past trouble, the past things that we've done in our life, the past sins that we have committed, what do we do? What should we do after that? Well, he says we should go and show that same love to other people. We should go and make amends with them. Jesus made amends with us. We should make amends with others. Jesus' love, guys, what he's trying to get us to see, what John's trying to get us to see, Jesus' love is active. It's not passive. This is a stark, stark contrast to how society defines love as passive. Jesus' love is on purpose. It's visible. It's seen in public, but it's rooted in a change that occurs within. This is the purpose, John's letter, uh, that, he, that he wrote this whole book of 1 John. is to show us the true definition of love by looking at who Jesus is and what he did and what we should be doing as a continuation of that. Jesus' love is others-centered. It's others-focused. And in this way, he continues the same thing that God did in the Old Testament into the New Testament. So, this is the point that John is trying to make, is if you want to know what love is, if you want to know what it is, you have to look at who Jesus is. You have to look at the way he interacted with people, the way that he loved people, the way that he defined it. That is the only way to discover true love, and that is what he's imploring the reader to do the entire letter of 1 John. And that's why he makes so many references back to the book of John, the gospel of John, that is one of the accounts of Jesus' life. So as we think about that, I was thinking, man, what are some ways that Jesus practiced active love to one another? What are the ways that he expressed that? And tonight, we, we, you know, we don't have time to do an exhaustive list, but I have four things that I want us to see, the way that Jesus expressed love to other people. And as we look at these things tonight, I want you just to think, is this the way that I think about what love is? Is this the way that I show others love? Is this the, other, the type of love that I expect to be shown to 
me? Is this the way that I would want to receive love? So I want you to think like, man, is this the way that I seek to love others? And is this the way that I seek to be loved? So the first way that I think Jesus expresses love is sacrificially. Sacrificially. Jesus sought the benefit of others even at the expense of himself. Throughout the gospel, accounts of Jesus' life, which just means like the gospels are just, um, they're, they're stories, they're narratives about Jesus' life. Uh, they're the first four books of the New Testament. But over and over in those, we see Jesus put the needs of others before his own needs, even to the point of Jesus giving his own life to die in our place, to die in my place, to die in your place, in all of humanity's place, so that we might have the chance to be free. Not free to do whatever we want. That's the way that the world defines freedom. The world says freedom is you being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. That's not Jesus's definition of freedom. Jesus's definition is, hey, I want to set you free so that you are free to do whatever you should. Free to willingly give our resources, our homes, our tables to others to show the love that has been shown to us. We have no doubt that Jesus felt emotions when he was alive, that he felt emotions when he was on the cross. I'm not trying to say that love is emotionless, that it's not a feeling, but it's much, much more than that. What I'm saying is Jesus' feelings drove him to action that was guided by his relationship with God. When we think about love, if we're honest, like we're a little selfish. We're a little selfish. When we love other people, what we really mean is I love the validation that they give me. I love the way that they make me feel. Sometimes our definition of love is inherently us-centered because it's all about how the other person makes me feel, and that's why I really like being around them. That's why I love them. And when you see love as inherently you-centered, you are moving away from Jesus' sacrificial expression of love, which is inherently other-centered. It's inherently about other people. So before we can begin to extend that love to others, have we embraced that atoning sacrifice ourselves? Do we know that we have committed our lives to following Jesus or how the disciples said it? Have we made Jesus the Lord of our life? Have we made him the Lord over everything? And we said, not my way, but your way. Have we finally stopped and prayed to God and say, no longer my will, Father, but your will be done. No longer will I follow my dreams because they're not working out, but I will follow your dream for my life. Have we repented of the things that we have said to people? Have we repented of the things that we have done to others? Because I'm telling you, the last thing that you want in life is to marry someone who thinks that your marriage is about making them happy. You will not make it. Someone who understands Jesus' sacrificial love will make a great partner for you, and you can become a great partner before you ever get married to them by embracing that now and allowing Jesus to become the Lord of your life now and allow him beginning to form you and shape you now. Second way that we see Jesus express love in the New Testament is a servant, servant-hearted love. In John 13, there's this famous story uh, about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Um, and to us, like, we think, like, man, like, what's the big deal? Like, you know, there's, like, you know, uh, foot spas and stuff like that everywhere. Like, you know, our feet really don't get that dirty. But you got to kind of think, this is way before, like, paved roads existed, this is before that Nike could mass-produce shoes that we could put 
on our feet. People walked around in open-toed shoes and muddy roads that were covered in animal feces. Like, people's feet were, like, pretty disgusting. You know what I'm saying? So, like, foot washing in Jesus' culture was considered the lowest task in society. It was the lowest of the low. It was, it was reserved for the most unimportant, bottom-rung person that you could find. Those were the people that washed feet. Yet, what we see is Jesus, the person who made humans from dust, cleaning dirt and grime off of his creation's feet as a way to show them real, active, visible love. Like, just to try to get a mental picture of this, like, imagine if President Biden rolled up in Hampton, Virginia, he popped off a manhole, like, jumped down in there and just started shoveling crap out because there was a big blockage. Like, if you can take that mental image and then multiply that times a million, you're starting to get close to what the disciples experienced when Jesus washed their feet. And it's so interesting what Jesus says after he does it. In, G- in John 13, verse 14, he says this, he says, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. So Jesus is not denying, I am your teacher, I am your Lord. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Jesus is setting an example. This is what love is. Love is servant-hearted. Jesus' servant-hearted love is when you can willingly choose, listen to me, freely, freely choose to say, I am the least important person in the room. And that I can move the center from being on me to the center being on others. That's it, guys. It's so simple to understand, but it's so hard to put into practice. But this is the love that Jesus showed. It's action-oriented. Guys, what ways are you showing servant-hearted love to people? What ways are you seeking to actively love others? Ladies, when someone asks you on a date, do you ask yourself, have I seen this person show servant-hearted love to anyone? Have I ever witnessed any type of track record of what this guy has done? Is that question cross our mind. I think that it should. Because in marriage, to show love to someone, you're going to have to do a lot of servant-hearted things, and you're going to have to set a lot of yourself aside. Sometimes you're going to have to do that for long periods of time, which is the third way I think that Jesus showed love. Jesus showed diligent love. Is anyone in here tired of hearing people like me, like pastors and stuff on stage, just talk about like, man, marriage is so hard. Marriage is so hard. Anyone else tired of hearing that? You know what? Life is hard. And I think too often as young adults, if something gets challenging or hard, like we just quit. Job gets hard, we quit. Friend group gets annoying, we ghost them. Relationship starts feeling flat, nah, we break up, re-download Bumble. Like imagine if Jesus had been like that with the disciples. Imagine if you'd been like, man, I have explained to you guys what the kingdom of God is like 10 times. I even made it so simple to you, and I told you a story. I gave you a little illustration, like how we teach little kids in elementary school how to learn things. Like I gave you a rhyme. I gave you something to try to remember it by. 
and you still didn't get it. I've explained this to you guys 10 times. Like, imagine if you'd just been like, why don't you guys just go find a new rabbi? Because y'all are not getting it. I'm sick of explaining it to you. No, his love is patient. Jesus' love is patient and kind, and it's diligent. It keeps working toward its goal even when it's hard. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's painful, even when it's emotionally excruciating. Jesus' love is diligent. It doesn't stop. It doesn't give up. Guys, most things in life worth having require years of work working at it. Years of being formed. Years of being shaped. Years of preparing. But for most of us in here, when it comes to love, we settle for lazy. We settle for lazy. We settle for minimum effort love. We settle for, if I don't get what I need, then I just get out. And we do that because we lower our standards out of desperation. We lower our standards for love because we're so desperate to find it. We're so desperate to be in it. Guys, apply some diligence in your life. Don't lower your standards, lengthen your patience. You'll be rewarded for doing that. Someone's life who is marked by laziness doesn't always look like the person who never makes it off the couch. Sometimes it's the person who spends all their time doing everything except what they should be doing. Doing everything except being formed by God. Doing everything except taking the steps that they need to get healthy. Doing everything else. Always saying, I'm too busy. Sometimes that's what laziness looks like, guys. That person will not make a good partner in life for you. They will not make a good partner in ministry. And they will not make a good spouse for you. Because loving someone in the covenant of marriage sometimes is deeply, deeply challenging. And it requires you setting yourself aside for extended periods of time, weeks, months, saying my needs have got to go to this side and I've got to focus on serving you. I've got to do this for you. Because it requires working through long seasons of real, raw communication and working on your own maturity. You know, I heard uh, somebody give a really good definition of maturity, this book that I'm reading. He said, you know, maturity is taking the maximum amount of responsibility for your life while placing the least amount of blame on others. That was just for free, but back on task with what we're talking about. Jesus' love. Jesus' love was diligent. Jesus continued to pursue others in love even when it was hard, even when he was misunderstood, even when he was betrayed, even when he was murdered by his own people. Jesus' love was diligent. Is this the way that we are seeking to love other people? Is this the type of love that we're seeking for others to show to us? A love that is diligent, a love that is not going to run at the first sign of trouble, but a love that says, I will sit, I will wait, I will abide, and I will continue to press through this with you. Is that the way we show love to others? Is that the love that we are kind of expecting, guys? That is an active, active, involved love. And the fourth way and the last way is authentic. Jesus' love for us was real. It was real. His love for us was not reluctant. In fact, uh, it brought God maximum joy, <laughs> maximum joy to restore his relationship with you. That is the story of the Bible from start 
to finish is God wanting to rule the world through his people, through real love, in a world that is consumed by so much fakeness, in a world that is consumed by so much fraudulence, in a world that has fake news, fake Instagram pictures, fake food, fake get-rich scheme. The world needs some realness, needs some authenticity. And make no mistake, God sees the real you. He sees the flaws that you try to hide in your Facebook posts. God sees the things that you've done, the things that you've done to hurt other people, the things that, pe- that have been done to you. God sees the nights that you wish that you could forget. He heard the words that you wish that you could unsay. But he also sees that the, pain, the pain that you've carried for far too long. He sees the wounds that you will not let heal. God sees authentically and really who you really, really are. Even the version of yourself that you wish people would never find out about. God sees that authentic you, and yet he authentically loves all of you. He authentically pursues all of you right where you are. That's how deep Christ's grace is but he doesn't want you to stay that way. He doesn't want you to stay in that dysfunction that you find yourself in or that you created. He wants you to go and to sin no more. Is that what we look for in others? Is that what we try to be in others? Do we try to pursue others who will accept the real us, the us that has some baggage, the us that's got some stories, the us that's got some, ah man, there's some things that I did that I really wish that I couldn't do. Do we try to pursue others who will accept the real us, but also support us and encourage us not to stay there, but to move into being more like Jesus? Because when we stop pursuing Jesus as individuals, the clock to our failure starts ticking. So I say all that to say this, guys. Great marriages don't happen by accident. Great husbands, great wives, great moms, great dads, they don't happen by accident. They're the result of training and practicing and disciplining yourself and knowing and embracing the love of Jesus and extending it to others over and over and over and over and over again. And we're going to spend just the last few minutes together of time together that we have in prayer. So um, don't want to do anything weird. We're not doing that, but I just want you guys just to bow just where you're at. And if you're watching online, um, if you can bow or just wherever you're at, if you can uh, begin to, to pray. But I just want you guys just to pray and just ask yourself for just a minute, does the love that I show and the love that I expect reflect the qualities that we talked about tonight? Does the love that I show and the love that I expect reflect these, these four things? And I'll just ask, what do I need to repent of? What do I need to lay down before Jesus tonight? What do I need to repent of? What do I need to lay down before Jesus tonight so that I can show this love to others?
Now just pray, just ask, what do I need to do to become more like Jesus? Just ask the Holy Spirit, just show you, what do I need to do to become more like Jesus? Do I need to come into salvation? Do I need to take my next step in baptism and go all in? Do I need to start serving and giving back? Do I need to get in community and circle up with other believers? Could be any of those things, could be all, could be more. What do I need to do to become more like Jesus? Lord, that is what we want and that is what we desire. Lord, we want to become more like you. We want to embrace the love that you have shown us. God, so we can turn and extend that to others. Lord, we know that you have made amends with us. God, so we can go and continue that same ministry, making amends to other people. Lord, we want to grow in our love for you. Lord, so that we might serve our neighbors better, so that we might be better community group members, God, that we might be better servants of you, that we might be better at sacrificing, God, that we might grow in our diligence. Lord, we desire all these things, Lord, not because our ultimate goal is just to have the greatest marriage, Lord, but our ultimate goal is to love you and to reflect you, Lord. And we know that when we get that right, God, that when we keep the main thing, the main thing, God, that when we understand the way that you loved us, God, that that is the best and ultimate preparation for how we can begin to love others. Lord, help us. Help us see love the way that you see it. God, is something that is active, something that is visible. God, help us see that. Help us when we see suffering in our circles. God, when we see our friends, our family, God, when we see people in our community suffering, that we don't just say, man, someone else should do something about that, God, but we say, that should be me. That should be me stepping out, taking action. God, that is the desire of our hearts, is to be shaped into people who are loving. And we know that we can only do that by going to the creator and the originator of love, and that is you, Father. So help us become that. We ask this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.